side of the periphery to the other. Frederick was staring out into the horizon as he realized that against all odds and against all rationale, there were pockets of darkness coming towards him like clouds, but not clouds in the sky, clouds on the ground where fog belonged. And they were coming closer and closer. And he stared into this darkness wondering what could it possibly be? It was thick. And it was black, like staring into space. But it was on Earth, and it was rolling like mist. And he watched as animals, deer, and rabbits ran from this darkness, petrified. Frederick, who initially thought it was a good idea to run, was frozen, staring at this rolling darkness as it got closer and closer, inching towards him. And just as it seemed like it was about to touch him, He awoke, screaming, in his tiny little bed, sweating profusely from the forehead, almost bumping into the top bunk above him. What the hell's going on down there? Cubitz yelled from above. All at once, everything came back to him. He was sleeping in the cabin of a ship, of a cargo ship, in route, en route to Paris. He had been having these nightmares for the past two or three weeks, and he couldn't seem to shake him. Nor could he figure out where they had come from, because he had never had nightmares like these before. As a sailor, as a a member of the Navy, you have to go through rigorous testing for your health, both mental and physical. And he had passed with flying stars. And up to the moment when he started having his nightmares, he was so confident, it was bordering on naive. He was only 21, and life for him up to that point had been pretty standard. He had a girlfriend back home, and he was actually a college fo- no, he was a high school football star and pretty popular in his school. He was reasonably good lo- good looking, with smooth, straight black hair, hazel eyes, <laughs> and he was confident that he could pretty much ask out any girl in school. But he chose Cindy Crawford. And she said yes. And they were going to get married when he came back from his voyage across the sea. Now, the reason he was at sea was because he decided he wanted to be in the Navy, just like his grandfather, Albert. Albert. Just Albert. Albert didn't have a last name. And he had always wanted to be in the Navy. And he was starting to get to a point in his life where he thought that life was maybe more about more than just being a high school football star. So anyway, he's on the ship and he's having these nightmares. Cubits dropped down from the bunk above and he sat sat beside Frederick and he said, your nightmares are getting worse. Things are developing really badly. Are you sure you're okay? Can you go through with our mission? Frederick, who had tossed and turned all night, the night before, staring at the, the ceiling, thinking deeply about the nightmares and how they're getting worse. And there was a theme. A theme to the darkness, a theme to the unknown. And Frederick said, yeah, I can do this. At first, Frederick thought that it was all just in relation to stress. He thought that he was 
worried because his life was going to be on the line. They were going to fight off an enemy at sea, and his mission was very important, very crucial to preventing war. And Frederick saw a lot of his grandfather in himself, because his grandfather had been a hero, and he wanted to live to that same standard. Hubitz, who was his best friend and bunkmate, would get up often in the night and help Frederick get through these horrendous nightmares. Look, man, I know I know that you're stressed out. I'm stressed out too. We've had some rigorous training. We've been fleshed out. We've been beaten. We've been everything you could imagine that the Navy could do to us. But we are the best of the best. We're the best, aside from the SEALs. We're the best Navy that We're the best sailors there are. And Frederick tried to reassure himself that everything in the dream was just a dream. And everything in reality was reality. And there was a huge separation, but there was always a sneaking suspicion that the line between vision and reality was a little blurry. Sometimes, when he was on deck, he was staring off into the Baltic Sea, he would see pockets of blackness, or he would see thunderclouds rolling in that didn't exist. Or sometimes, when he had not slept well for days on end, he would think that he'd see something crawling in the water beneath the ship. Massive. Much bigger than any living creature was known to be. And Hubitz was his only tether to logic and reality. Just then, from their cabin, an alarm went off. It wasn't... It was a familiar alarm, where it went off about every other two nights. Something was awry up at the deck. Frederick thought to himself that it was probably just a seagull. Something was awry up on the deck, but Frederick didn't concern himself too much with it because in the past it had been usually just a false alarm, a small storm, or a seagull that somebody thought was a starship from the enemy territory. So he wiped the sweat off of his brow and looked up to Hubert, who was still leaning over the bed, also now aware of the alarm. It was hard to ignore it because it was very annoying. The sound droned on. Oh, I guess we better get up to deck, Frederick said to Hubert. Hubert jumped down from the bunk, as spry as ever. Yeah, I guess so. So they put on their clothes, and they marched up through the hallways, running into groups of men. Some they recognized, some they didn't. It was a big ship, after all. The biggest that the U.S. had ever sent out. They were actually on the first biggest ship ever to Paris. So they they climbed to the deck where a storm, sure enough, was raging. The sea, Frederick couldn't help but notice, was swelling up and clouds, the clouds were darker than usual, not unlike the dream that he had just been having. But he shook it off for he, he had grown accustomed to these visions and, frankly, exaggerations of his mind. Hubitz had helped him see that. But something inside of him still questioned whether or not this was real. Up above, a bright neon green light flew over the ship through the black clouds. A U.S. Star Destroyer. And every night they would they would send a car- uh, Star Destroyer out. One that was capable of intergalactic flight, but one that was pretty regularly grounded, or so they called it and scheduled to fly around the ship as a sort of scout to keep eyes, keep an eye on any enemies that might be approaching, either from the sky or higher, or even the sea, for it had 
supersonic submarine vision. The intercom sounded. Tortoise, this is Eagle. There is an enemy on the horizon. And all the sailors ran to the top of the ship and mounted their guns. And all the planes that were on top of the cargo ship flew off as immediate as they could. Pilots were soaring left and right. All of the manned guns were aimed in the same direction, northeast. There was something there. A little too distant to tell which enemy, but it was without a doubt. Either an enemy or a pirate. Frederick was standing at the gun, ready. He was one of the best shots in the Navy. And he knew how to run his cannon. He'd been trained many, many times, and he'd shot at anything that they'd let him shoot at during training. His friend Hubert was sitting by his side, holding the chainmail of armor, waiting. I don't want to do it anymore, Frederick whispered to Hubert. I don't feel the lust to kill anymore. I don't see the point, Hubert said. We're protecting our country. We're protecting the people we love. We can't give up now. Hubert remembered his girlfriend. He remembered the football games and how everybody depended on him, and the pressure was not even close to the same. Now, instead of just a game at stake, there were lives. There were people who looked up to him. There were people who depended on him for freedom. And he swallowed hard, and he tried to remember his place in the Navy and why he had gotten into it in the first place. That lust for blood is gone, now that his daddy's not beating him anymore. After all, his daddy was Mr. Jenkins. He stared out into the distance at this enemy, and he said, I'm just going to pretend that this ship is my father, who beat me silly for many, many years. And he aimed, and without permission, he began to fire. And he shot rounds at this ship as the airplanes flew over and notified that it was, in fact, an enemy ship coming at them with guns pointed in their direction. He was just a second faster than those planes had gotten there and he sunk the destroyer. The destroyer went down hard and fast, like Frederick thought it would, into the sea, splashing. And Frederick couldn't help but imagine the pilot inside the ship, drowning, suffocating on water, breaching the hull, breaching the cockpit, and sinking fast to the bottom of the sea, like the Titanic that he had heard about so long ago. And then he caught himself having this thought, evil thoughts. Where did these evil thoughts come from? And then he started thinking about his dreams again. He had been acting, he had been feeling different. He hadn't been acting different. And he thought that Hubert's might have been the reason for that. If not for Hubert, Hubert's, he might have lost control at this point and sabotaged the whole mission. And then suddenly he started thinking of himself running around the ship, pushing people off the sides, punching people that he slightly didn't like. Where was this all coming from? This evil energy. And then he started thinking about his father. Was it in him all along? Was he destined to be a shitty person? No. No. The evil had died out when Mr. Jenkins had killed himself. Frederick settled his gun and leaned back and then looked over to Hubitz, who apparently had been looking at him the entire time, astonished, shocked. Uh, are you okay, man? Frederick responded. Yeah, why? You just killed about 120 people, Hubitz said. Frederick hadn't even considered the idea, not until this moment. Well, that makes you one of the most mass, <laughs> mass serial killers of all time. And uh, Frederick didn't like the idea, but he remembered those beatings his daddy gave him all those years ago. And he remembered the plantation. He remembered the, the guys on the potato field. And he remembered how badly his father treated him. And he tried not to relive that feeling. Frederick took a deep breath before unmounting the gun. 
He'd done his work for the day, and according to everybody on the ship, he was a hero. Everybody patted him on the back and gave him extra rations of food and told him to go to bed early. But Frederick couldn't sleep. He knew he couldn't sleep. Insomnia had been his best friend for as long as he could remember. I can't help but feeling there's something coming, he whispered to Hubitz over chow at the lunch hall. Something bad. There's something off in those distance. Yeah, they're not just dreams, Hubitz. There's something coming. Something I can't explain. Something deep. Something wrong. Now, Hubert's tried not to chuckle, because this, this intuition had been right before. For one, the ship had come out of nowhere, and he was right about that. For two, there had been one occasion when they'd gotten lost, when all their navigation systems had gone down. And Frederick had been right as to which way to go. And it wasn't simple look at the sun and determine where you are. It was a lot more complicated than that. I want to believe you, Hubert said. There's something going on. I can tell by your dreams, I can tell by the way you shuffle at night, that you're predicting something. Something that can't be explained by a map or a GPS, but maybe by folklore, maybe by visions. There was a loud slam, and Frederick and Hubitz both dropped their fork, their sporks. Hubitz nearly spitting out his meatloaf as the day's meal was meatloaf, as it was Meatloaf Monday. Which, by the meal name was the only reason they even knew what day it was, because they weren't allowed to have cell phones, of course, and for some reason calendars were banned. Instructor General Gerber came marching into the room, a hardened fellow, maybe about 60, though nobody really knew his true age, and some suspected that he might be immortal and have been around since since the dawn of the U.S. of A., as that's what he called it, the U.S. of A., sometimes the good old U.S. of A., and he carried with him some not-safe-for-work sentiments, some politically incorrect sentiments by today's standards. But we won't get into that. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Frederick talked to himself. Instructor General Gerber marched to the center of the lunch hall and looked around, glaring with his eyes, seemingly piercing everybody who caught his eye as they looked around, like the Mona Lisa, in a way. Anybody who looked... It seemed like he was looking straight back at them, into their soul, piercing. He was a hard fella, from the, from the good old U.S. of A. Hop two, he shouted. Everybody stood up immediately, intuitively. This they had learned in military school. Frederick hesitated a little, a little bit, but he hoped that nobody noticed, though he thought that Hubitz probably did notice. Now, as you all know, Gerber shouted in his usual machismo voice, the war with the Russians has been going on for some time, and there are resources on the moon which the U.S. of A. cannot stand to lose. This war we must win. Now, as you all know, he said again, for he liked to repeat phrases, we need to protect not only the moon, but the waters, the oceans surrounding our great continent. The continent he was referring to was all of the Americas, for at that point in time, everybody knew, the U.S. of A. had been belligerent and pretty much invaded every other country down to the western half of Antarctica, which I specify now as the narrator talking to you like this, because global warming had split across, split right down the center, the Antarctic continent, which by then had also melted 
to an actual continent where people could live. And there were actually palm trees down there. And floated off a little bit to the left. Just enough so that conveniently cartographers, which still existed, (laughs) could draw a line straight down the map and declare the western half of Earth, which and which was all the Americas, except for Hawaii, which had been overtaken by an Eskimo tribe that had migrated south secretly for the longest time through what was then the, the actual good old U.S. of A, and then sailed across the Pacific and seceded from the good old U.S. of A and become the Eskimo nation of Igloo. So Hawaii was now Igloo, and the good old U.S. of A was now the entire western half of the world. And through a whole history of textbooks that we won't go into because it's not our history and we don't traditionally do that, Russia took over the eastern half of the world. And now we were both fighting for the moon, and that's basically what I'm trying to get at. Instructor General Gerber announced, stomping his foot, as he was wont to do. Now, as you all know, this all happened. But even though we are starting to expand into the universe, and we are starting to discover planets that we can live on, we must never forget our home, and the good old U.S. of A., and the oceans which protect us from the evil Russians, as they were now called. Now, the oceans, apparently to the Instructor General Gerber, are the most important thing ever, for there are fish. Fish would sustain 80% of their diet. Gerber slammed his hand onto the table and he said, lest we never forget the fight that we had to go through to obtain all those countries. And all the sailors saluted again and sat down and continued to their chow. Gerber was... Meatloaf. <laughs> Gerber was an awful son of a bitch. And he could be unbearable at times, but there was something that nobody knew about him. He was, in fact, a furry. Gerber would dress up in a dinosaur costume, and he would hump stuffed animals in his free time. Now, those who knew this secret couldn't take him seriously, but those who didn't know his secret were terrified by him. Now, Frederick had been one of those unfortunate souls who'd been tasked to go to his bedroom to deliver a message, and he'd open the door without knocking, unfortunately, and seen Instructor General Gerber in his dinosaur costume, grinding against the teddy bear. Count, Frederick can't take him seriously anymore, but all the cadets could, and the mission was to occupy the moon. And furry or not, Gerber was the man for the job. Gerber was the best general that they'd ever had, even if he was kind of a freak. He knew how to take charge when the moment was... Buzz? Ah! I'm sorry, Buzz? Go ahead. To each their own. Who are you to say that a furry is a freak? <laughs> That's what you're going to buzz I'm buzzing you for that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hey, we could have some furries listening. I might. Who, who am I to judge? You've inspired a character. <laughs> well... I'll I... leave it at that. A character. And I'll give it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> you buzzed me for nothing? <laughs> Uh-huh. I just wanted to clarify that we weren't against He's, furries. We're not. We embrace furries. That's why we mentioned them. Okay. <laughs> but I'm also, I'm not a furry. I'm not. That's not why I was so okay. like Likely story. <laughs> All right, chill. Settle down, squirrel. <laughs> so. Call me Gerber. <laughs> Gerber goes to the top of the, the ship. And he's staring out at the moon as the sun is setting. Because they're happening simultaneously. And he's thinking about 
what it would be like to control the moon, because that is his mission, that is his purpose, that is his entire life goal, furry or not. And Frederick walks up behind him, Inspector Gerber, uh, Inspector General Gerber. I need to ask you a question. Gerber turns around. What do you want now, maggot? And he yells, trying to reassure his dominance. Gerber shouted, Well, sir, I need you to tell me where we're going. I need to know where we're taking this ship. No, you don't, Gerber shouted. If I wanted you to know where we were going, I'd tell you. Will our boys in blue ever reach Paris? Or was that ever even the plan? What secret is Instructor General Gerber hiding? And what does the future hold for humanity at large? Find out next week on The Writer's Block. This has been The Writer's Block. Cool kids, remember to subscribe and tune in next week for the next episode of The Writer's Block. The coolest podcast of all time, time, time.